Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And a guest from a way back, uh, which is Scott Sauls. Now, you were in the studio. In the studio, which is why it will sound better. It's next level, man. Uh, He came back because we got rid of Barnabas. (laughs) And because our our studio is a lot bigger than... What was it? Two it's feet nice. wide, or it was two feet by two feet? <laughs> Thereabouts, yeah. It's about four, we have four some square feet. Yeah, we have it looked like uh, I really, you know, the last time, and you know, honestly, this is probably why I don't watch TV anymore. Because the last, because you interviewed Scott Saul. No, in the room? I promise. I and I know I run rabbits, but this one might make sense. Um, the TV series Lost is like the last show that I ever really got into, and I was so distraught, disturbed, fill in the blank with multiple adjectives, like it it ruined TV for me forever, which is great because I became much more productive, I'm sure, as a result. But and what does this have to do with anything? Because in Lost, it was, a lot of it was, you know, it was modern day, but everything looked like it was in the 60s if you were on the island. And we were definitely on an island <laughs> that was based in the 60s. And you looked at the studio. Oh, it was a great studio. Yeah. You couldn't you couldn't hear anything outside that room. No. But it looked like it was from yeah. it was a set set from the, the 60s. So I thought I saw the Dharma Initiative logo on my microphone. That That's explains a lot. Mm-hmm. He okay. it's been mm-hmm. from from okay. Well have you watched Homecoming? Julia Roberts? I haven't watched anything on Not Amazon. Yet. It's okay. queued up. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that I didn't watch Lost. But that room does remind me of Homecoming. Okay. And and kind of the wood paneling and all yeah. that. Do you recommend it? It's it's very dystopian, mm-hmm. surreal. Yeah. It's fast. And Julia Roberts is a is an amazing yeah. actress. So. Like Hunger Games for grown ups or uh, probably not as dramatic. Okay. Because it, 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 Brave it definitely, new world. it yeah. feels indie. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's definitely some, the cinematography is, is fascinating yeah. in the, what they've done with the camera and all that. And it's, it's, it was a fun, it was a fun little yeah. show. Check it out. Yeah. All right. But Scott Sauls, he is a local Nashvilleian, former new, I don't know, new, you don't say Renee New Regrez. York, you don't say New Yorkian, New Yorker, New Yorker. New Yorker. Come yeah. On. I don't know what else. <laughs> New Yorkian <laughs> since 2012. The terrier? Yeah. <laughs> so came. Yeah, he's serving as a senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church. And man, um, before we get into the questions, and I mean the number of cool. books, my favorite so far has been from Weakness to Strength. Mm, coloring Thanks. outside the lines. Mm, that's your favorite. Yep. Yeah, and he just came out with it's a new actually one. Actually, not the title, but we'll we'll just <laughs> look on it. Past Are you talking about so. before, coloring outside the lines? I think that's a children's book. <laughs> Are you talking about the friend? Jesus, Jesus outside. Jesus outside. Jesus outside. Oh, yeah. We were just talking yeah. about this yeah. earlier. Yeah, it's it was a it's a paint by number book. <laughs> no, we were talking about his next book, and I was like, wait a second, it sounds a little bit like that one. Yeah, but he just came out with a new book, Irresistible yeah. Faith. Why don't yeah. you tell us a little a little bit about it, and we'll get into our questions. Well, thanks about Irresistible Faith. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so really, it, it's a book that um, tries to address. Uh, what I and I think a lot of uh, people who identify as Christians see as a major missed opportunity uh, to be a life-giving uh, presence and and uh, neighborly 
uh, force, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so to speak, uh, in the places where we live, work, and play. I, I think that the narrative has has gotten. Uh, way overblown about Christians being politically partisan and us against them and not interested in uh, having any compassion for the minority experience, et cetera. And, and while I think that those struggles do exist within certain pockets of Christianity, I, I think there's also a lot of amazing stuff going on uh, in, in the world of those who believe in Christ. And, and, uh, I think part of it is, um, you know, changing the public narrative by just telling those stories more because the stories are there. Mm. Um, and, but the book makes an effort to sort of, uh, draw out a pathway for those who wish to, um, live as life-giving people in their communities and in their cities, not just for individuals, but also for entire churches and, and for, you know, groups of people living in the same neighborhood who want to make a difference in in their neighborhood or at local schools or, uh, the workplace or what have you. And so it's in three sections. And the first is, is really just about abiding with Christ because we're, we really, we're only going to be good for the world to the degree that we've, um, you know, allowed Christ to, you know, infuse his goodness into us. Uh, Mm. uh, and then the second section is about what, uh, you know, what I call an irresistible community. What, what, life in Christ together is supposed to look like just acknowledging that, um, you know, the vast majority of the new Testament language, uh, the second person references are almost all plural. Um, yeah, you know, he doesn't yeah, speak to right. individuals. He's, uh, you know, or the Bible doesn't speak to individuals as much as it speaks to communities, Completely. uh, which, completely reorients perspective, for instance, on what it means to engage the needs of the poor. That's overwhelming for an individual to think about, but for a community to start thinking about what can we do together, uh, it becomes more motivating and doable and, and energizing. And then the last section is about kind of the working out of, of, of missional living, uh, you know, as, as I call it, uh, in three categories. One would be, um, you know, giving special attention to those that Jesus called the least of these or the mm-hmm. poor, mercy and justice sorts of things. The second would be integrating faith and work and, and you know, for all legitimate, you know, or, or what, you know, Tim Keller and Catherine Alster call, you know, good endeavors yeah. um, are, are just as much part of the mission of God yeah. as the work of pastors and missionaries and, and, and ministry workers. And, and so want to help sort of kindle and stir the, the Christian imagination for vocational discipleship. And that's mm. not just for paid jobs. I mean, it's also stay at home parenting and, and, and other things of that sort. And then the third is just about public faith, just being more public. Uh, you know, and I, I think one area where we've really struggled like I said a minute ago, is 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 letting those stories you know go out in the open. I think I think you know maybe maybe a little bit too much uh, uh, shyness about uh, the good things that are going on mm-hmm. for fear of boasting, right? But yeah. Jesus also said, and he actually commanded it. It's a moral imperative to let your light shine before men and to be this city on the hill in the light of the world. And 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 so I try to hash out some of the implications of what that could mean for us. I love that because I, I mean, I, I get your emails that you send out and both in your writing through books, but also, uh, in the emails that you write, I mean, that are blog posts on, on your site. I, I so appreciate 
that aspect of engagement and that you're not afraid to bring about a reasoned approach hmm. to faith and to engaging culture. And, and I think that's, that's daunting. It can be very daunting to a lot of people, but you do a really, really good job at, at approaching it. Thanks, Daniel. Way. Appreciate that. Yeah. I think too, you know, one of the interesting things that, um, we were actually talking about before we started the podcast is where different places that, uh, one place in particular that we ran in, into each other and we were like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm surprised to see that guy here. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm surprised to see that guy here. Um, but one of the things is, you know, was that, that a Taylor right Swift concert. It was, it was not a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> uh, so with Taylor Swift. It, it was, we've uh, seen her twice since we moved to Nashville. What's wrong with that? I wanted to see how you're going to react. You love Taylor Swift. <laughs> no, we were, uh, it was actually at One Cry, and um, we were both uh, hanging out with uh, Nick and Christine Kane afterward, and mm-hmm. we were both like, oh, this is an interesting – this is – this is interesting. Like, I didn't know that a guy who wrote for TGC and, you know, I kind of um, probably had had put you in a in a category, even though the way that you write blends the the theology and actual practice of the gospel. Hmm. And so, um, I don't know. I was almost like should ask for forgiveness for that, but at the same time, he thought that I. It was like, we're both. We're both assuming. Uh, I'm thinking. We're making. I didn't think a Baptist would come to a charismatic thing, and you're thinking a Presbyterian wouldn't come to a charismatic. <laughs> That's Here, here's a joke. In I, here. I don't know about. I don't know about Baptist, but but you know, my tribe, Reformed Presbyterian, represents less than one percent of global Christianity, which right. says to me, I've got a whole lot to learn from people like oh, Chris Kane, sure. who is mm. completely sold out to the Lord, to Scripture. Sure. Totally. Uh, if, if I had half of, if I had 10% of her enthusiasm, I would feel like I'd, I'd be my best self and, and you know, for, for the kingdom. And, and so I just, I, I want to be around people like her oh. as much as I can to have, have that rub off. She's been on a number of times and Nick as well. So, I mean, you know, if you look at what they do with a 21 mm. in particular, um, and uh, which is, if you do not know what a 21 is, please look it up right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, when you look at the area of human trafficking in the world and Mm -hmm. you look at how their ministry has expanded in 10 years, I mean, the first guy, uh, Phil, and I forgot Phil's last name, uh, but Phil has been on staff for 10 years and and he's still there and now he's the COO. Uh, But it just going from, you know, one location in Greece to 52 offices. Yeah. In a short period of time, mm-hmm. and the uh, um, the work that they do, the ministry they do, and the systematic way that they go about um, working in a country to uh, to to reach those people to mm-hmm. help reform both what the the government is doing there as mm-hmm. well as what uh, as well as help those people um, get out of that mm-hmm. that uh, lifestyle is absolutely amazing. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, no, that's awesome. So, so Scott, um, before we get into our questions, I know we've said that before. I think that's the second time I said that here, but <laughs> we'll see what happens on the course of the podcast. Uh, the, the one thing that really sticks out to me, uh, particularly about your ministry mm-hmm. is your love for the city. 
And I definitely, I mean, I didn't know you um, when you were in New York and I didn't, I mean, but it, clearly in your writing, you had a love for the city, mm-hmm. right? And in coming here, I can see that evidenced in your ministry, even mm-hmm. with the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. And I mean, yeah. your love, I mean, just there's so much about that. And oftentimes when God calls people to particular ministries or to places, I feel mm-hmm. like sometimes he calls them to a church or to a role or to mm-hmm. a ministry and sometimes to a city. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that um, yeah. in regards to that calling to a city and how people can discern that? Yeah, well, that's Tim Keller's mentoring in mm-hmm. my life. I mean, I, I tell people probably 90% of who I am as a minister and a leader is because of Tim's influence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tim Keller is kind of my one person seminary in many respects, but, <laughs> but um, you know, Tim, Tim's love for New York City is what instilled in me a love for Nashville, okay. you know, uh, and, 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 you know, the faith and work, uh, you know, piece, you know, we launched this organization you just mentioned called Nashville, Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. Uh, Director Missy Wallace would actually be a great interview for you guys if you ever, yeah. you know, considered Done. that. Yes. She's Done. amazing. <laughs> She'll do a great job for you guys, but, but, and have a lot of great insights, but, um, you know, I, we, what I was so impressed by under Tim's leadership was the open-handedness of everything. Uh, Tim, Tim, if, if, if they'd have structured things at Redeemer a certain way, it could have grown to a 25, 30,000 member church. Easy, mm. easy. Um, um, but what they decided to do under Tim's leadership instead was just keep planning churches, not yeah. just from the same denomination, but cross-denominationally, um, you know, Anglican churches, uh, non-denominational churches, uh, you know, uh, uh, Baptist churches, et cetera. Uh, by the time Tim was done, and I think he spent, you know, maybe 30 plus or minus years there as founding pastor. They planted over a, a hundred uh, local churches. Wow. Uh, and not only do they plant with, with, with financial resources and sending people, they also set up an entire training mechanism to, to train pastors from different denominations to come in and, and learn how to pastor in the unique context of a global city. Mm. And, and uh, essentially, you know, if, if you're a competitive type, you know, Tim is a great model of creating your own competition, right. because I think mm. that's what, that's what the kingdom work is about. It's not about, I mean, one of the things, one of the things that Anne Lamott you know, kind of, you know, I, I disagree with some of Anne Lamott's stuff and agree with some of what she says. But one of the things I, I love about what she said is, um, you know, in an interview, somebody asked her what, what she thinks, what she thinks the world's going to be like in a hundred years. And her answer was all new people. Mm. And, um, you know, that's just a real, really good gut wow, check really of, look, good. there's a shelf life on our influence. Yeah. And, and if we don't work hard to create things that will outlast us, then, then we're probably not thinking fully as fully as we ought about what kingdom ministry is supposed to look like because the ideal is to, is to be part of things that will, that will outlast us for generations, mm. uh, especially when we're talking about the local church, right? right. Um, gates of hell shall not prevail against it even after you're gone, right? So learn that from Tim. Uh, but just but just a love for what God can do in, in a city like New York, in a city like Nashville, uh, you know, where there's so much going on in industry, so much going on in terms of social problems right. and income gaps and, and racial divides and things of that sort that the church uniquely has both answers and resources, mm-hmm. uh, not just financial resources, but actually relational resources of the Holy Spirit, of a non-defensive posture. Uh, you know, I, I'm convinced that only a vital relationship with Jesus Christ can, can give you a non-defensive posture uh, where you can be not only a life-giving friend, but a life-giving enemy. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, not because you think somebody's an enemy, but because they think right. you are. Um, I think that Christians should be the greatest advocates for, for, um, you know, for, for certain causes like, like anti-bullying, uh, in the gay community. I think Christians should be taking the lead for that. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, like John Newton did, uh, you know, with, with, uh, William Wilberforce in parliament, just encouraging to stay in there, you know, to, to, to fight for abolition of the slave trade. Right. I think Christians need to be on the front lines of racial injustice and economic injustice and, and, and those sorts of things. And faith and work Institute is a huge part of that effort, as well as a lot of the partnerships we have with certain certain nonprofits and such, but so, yeah, that's awesome. So there will be pastors that have a burden in their heart for their city and thinking, I would love to start something like that. Mm -hmm. I've already sent myself a reminder, uh, to to get Missy on the podcast. Um, what would be like, how, how would you say go about starting this? Like, how did you move forward with that? Uh, you know what? I, I felt it, it was interesting because my seven-year anniversary at Christ Presbyterian was March 1st, so the first of this month, okay. which was which was where I'd marked it on my calendar to start moving forward with with the idea of a faith and work institute. Okay. I thought it would take that long to get to that point right. just because it was a revitalization effort and and uh, won't get into all that. But but uh, Missy just shows up, I mean, out of nowhere. Uh, you know, this woman that I'd never met emails me, says, I'd like to meet. We've been visiting the church. I got a lot of questions and she did have a lot of questions. (laughs) And, and one was, you know, I've been thinking about getting, you know, pursuing graduate studies, um, you know, in the area of, of, of putting Christianity and vocation together. And she said, I'm not talking about missionaries and pastors. I'm talking about like, like venture capitalists and athletes and healthcare workers and so on. Like, like I really feel like the church is, is, is not doing what the church ought to do with what people spend 40 to 60 hours of their week doing. Mm -hmm. And I said, Hmm, interesting. (laughs) And, 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 and so, so I shared a little bit about, um, you know, center for faith and work, uh, in New York city, uh, and, uh, gave her some reading material, said, Hey, go read this and, and go read this stuff. And she, she goes off and reads, I said, come on back and let's talk about it. Cause this is actually something I want to do here one of these days. And she came back and said, you know, um, would love to have a conversation with you about what a partnership might look like. And, um, and, and before you knew it, um, I think it was like year three, uh, of my being there, we launched it. And, mm. and since that time, she, she is with a small staff of three, including mm. herself has become one of the foremost faith and work spokesmen, na- spokespersons and women nationally. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just, she's getting more opportunities for this sort of thing than, than she's able to, to manage. But, but, uh, what does, what that does speak to is if you've got a thoughtful, intelligent gospel centered leader around these things, um, you know, they're going to, they're going to get asked the same question you just asked Todd, you know, a hundred fold, which speaks to the need and the appetite, um, you know, that that's there and and the opportunity that's there, I think, especially in Western Christianity, uh, to pursue this, it, it, you know, Dorothy Sayers wrote this great essay called why work and, and she nailed it, you know, years ago that this, this is one of the most neglected areas of Christian discipleship ever, Mm -hmm. uh, is what are we supposed to do with our work when it comes to our faith? And, and guess what? Making money so you can tie, 
tithe is not it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even though you should make money and tithe, uh, you know, and and you know, evangelizing to your your coworkers, it's not it. Even though you ought to figure out maybe a few coworkers that you ought to be cultivating that kind of relationship with, it's about your creative work and your restorative work being part of the mission of God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're an accountant and you create order, you're doing God's work. If you're a counselor and and, and you're helping somebody with their their anxiety and their depression, you're doing God's work. If you're, you know, an entrepreneur and you're a creative, you're you're doing the work of the creator. Uh, to you know, one of the, the other things Tim likes to say is history began in the Garden of Eden and it ends in the city of God, mm-hmm. uh, which has broad sweeping implications about the development work that we as Christians are meant to do in God's garden, i.e., His earth, while we're here. And so that's a long answer. Sorry, you hit a no, you, hit a, you hit a passion button there. Yes, that's good. But no, that's um, awesome. and th- there's a whole chapter in 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 the in irresistible faith on that as well of just the vision that we've tried to implement, um, you know, not only for people from our church, but, but, but anybody, um, any Christians, especially in Nashville. Uh, and we, we tell them it's a failure if you leave your church, like the success of this program is not that, that you leave your church, but that you become better for your church. And, and that, that these kinds of things, you know, are, are benefiting your church and the people at your church because you're in it. And, and so, you know, we, we hope it has a, not an imperialistic effect. Like we think we've got something that others don't. Right. It's just that we do have resources to be able to do this sort of thing that maybe a smaller church doesn't. And so if we can get your pastor and, and maybe one or two of your key members or leaders into our, our nine month intensive and then take it back to your church, you, you've got an organic thing that, that you awesome. can you can run with on your own. So, so the idea is like that of, it, it just, we just want to be a resource to people who don't have the resources, um, you know, to, to do these sorts of things because you can That's do awesome. it without a staff too you can it's harder that's but wonderful you, but you can if the pastor is on board we'll so. put all the links in the show notes and all that yeah but, sure. um if we or to get to our questions the first one is who are you learning from and i love asking mm. this to to thinkers like you practitioners like you yeah. like you especially because you're in the midst of writing another book as well so mm. i know there's a lot of research and thinking yeah. and learning that happens so uh these days who would you say you're learning from John Newton, a guy who wrote Amazing Grace, who many people don't know was a slave trader uh, before before he became a believer and a pastor and a hymn writer um, and uh, a mercy and justice advocate and an abolitionist. Um, but but I've just been drawn into his story, um, and and he's from centuries ago. Um, and yet his life and the things that he was addressing are so relevant now. And so I, I would say John Newton and the other group of people that I'm learning most from, uh, these days is, is, uh, you know, we've got a, an intergenerational church, people who are dying. Well, um, uh, I'm learning extraordinary things, uh, from, um, from people who are dying well, uh, with joy, with, 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 with a realistic posture toward, Mm. you know, end of life things of like hating death, but at the same time, um, rejoicing in God's promises and like just discovering, Hey, this is, this is real. Uh, like the gospel is real and Mm. and it comes out in, in marvelous ways when you see somebody dealing with death. And so, I got a hundred stories I could tell you, but don't have time to no, there. But that's so good. Yeah. That's so good. How about books and other other avenues of learning as well? Well, I only read my own books, and so uh, I'll list <laughs> and, them and for you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I mean anything Tim's written is, yeah. is great for me. No, is. But 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 um, yeah, I love C.S. Lewis. I mean, yeah. he's a 
he's a constant go-to. I love Henry Nowen and mm-hmm. just his just his gentleness um, inspires me and makes me want to be a better human being. Um, uh, I love you know sort of prophetic minority voices like Sun Chun Ra and yeah. and of course King and and others. Um, you know Jamar Tisby has written a, a, a very prophetic uh, you know historical account of of race in in the the Western Church recently called the Color of Compromise. That's 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 well worth looking at, especially you know for those of us who are part of majority culture um, in a world that's shifting racially. Um, you know. Uh, for the first time ever recently, uh, census reported that less than 50% of kids under the age of five are white, uh, in the, in America. So we've got a changing landscape. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so even if you don't want to deal with it, you're going to have to, and so are your children and, and it's good to get it right, uh, with the gospel in the center of it. And it's about time. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and there are others, but you know, those are probably the starters. That's awesome. So what's the, what's the main point of emphasis, um, for you and your team? at this point in time? Uh, always internal health, um, you know, because we, we can only be leaders for a church and in a city uh, to the degree that we're healthy amongst ourselves. And so we want we want our public ministry to be matched by and, and maybe even beaten by our private reality of, um, you know, pursuing Christ personally. And, and you know, we, 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 it's very important to us that our staff members are very are deeply spiritual people who are, are are deeply connected to Christ in their own personal lives, um, and that the the community dynamic among our staff represents the kind of community we're trying to to build and cultivate in our church, uh, and uh, and so those are and 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 where there is offense or disagreement uh, to keep short accounts to allow negative feedback to flow up the org chart and not just down it, and right. so like anybody on our staff or in our leadership is free to come to my office without fear of consequence to, mm-hmm. to call me out on stuff. Um, cause I want to have good character. You know, I, I want to, um, I, I want my blind spots to be, be addressed and I've got them. Um, and people have pointed them out mm-hmm. and, and I've hurt some people, um, you know, due to my blind spots. And so just to cultivate um, good Matthew 18, Galatians 6 dynamics yeah. along those lines and and uh, just trying to be the best version of us, yeah. you know, not trying to be anybody, but but who we are uniquely supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so for that, not, de- yeah, maybe not personally, but um, from a ministry standpoint, what does healthy conflict look like in in a staff setting? Uh, in a staff setting, the same as it looks like in a, in any relational setting, where if you've got an issue with somebody, go to them privately. Um, you know, water cooler conversations are just not acceptable. Yeah. Uh, office it's gossip, toxic. not acceptable. Uh, and and um, I came into an environment where there was a good bit of that going on, uh, and and it, you know, it's taken some time for us to work through those sorts of, you know, culture dynamics that sometimes get embedded for years and even decades. Right. Uh, and so it was a process, but but I think we're now at a place where everybody's so on board. And, and you know, one of the things we do too to create an environment where that kind of redemptive conflict is, doesn't feel threatening is that we, we regularly pull our staff together to do what we call living eulogies. You know, mm-hmm. why do we have to wait until somebody dies before mm-hmm. we start showing the highlight reel of their lives, you yeah, know? Right. And so, so we regularly pull the whole staff 
staff together and also just our directors weekly, but our whole staff monthly. Um, and, and we sort of highlight four or five different staff members uh, and departments and, and we speak life into them. And here's what we appreciate about you. Here's what we see that you may not see about yourself because you're so into what you're doing. And, um, and so I think that that helps to cultivate a climate yeah. where that allows for the harder conversations right. because I know you love me and, right. and, and, uh, and you know, I love you. And, and, and so, um, but even so that. conflict's never easy. It's just, no. you know, even in the best of relationships, it's never easy, but. That's good. That's good. Now, in addition to you modeling that deeper spiritual life uh, and you pursuing Christ in that manner, how do you, how do you create that culture in your church um, so that it's not a, Hey guys, before you get to work, make sure you do your devotions and mm-hmm. you know, what, what is that? Or, or instead of working, you know, we're just going to have multiple days of prayer yeah. uh, instead of, you know, I, you know, um, so what, what are ways that you cultivate that in your, in your context? Well, I would say part of it is that I have people on my staff that are that have more spiritual depth than I do, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, you know, they talk about like the best preachers are the ones who are willing to surround themselves with, with younger preachers who have their same level of gifts or even greater. Like that's like a great leader, right. Is, is to hire people and, and cultivate and develop people who could potentially replace you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that certainly spiritually as well, it's, it, we, we've got some just deeply committed believers who love the Lord and it just kind of gushes out of them. And uh, like, even this morning we were, we were having a, a meeting, um, you know, with some folks at our church and, and one of our pastors was asked to, to pray. And he, you, you know, you, you just, as he's praying, you just know this, this guy's not messing around. Like mm. he, he, he's smitten with Jesus Christ. Mm. And, and he's one of our pastors named David Filson. He's just smitten with Jesus Christ. And he's got his PhD in theology. Like, like he's like as smart as they come. Uh, and as it's like, I mean, he reminds me a lot of Jonathan Edwards, right? Mm. Like theology on fire, you know, like, like doctrine that, that, that leads to delight, you know? And, and, and so we, we just, we have those people and those are the people we try to elevate and yeah. we want to elevate. Um, and, and it catches, yeah, I think that a love for Christ is often between people is often more caught than it is taught. Like, mm. like there's a person who knows their theology and then, then there's a person who, you know, they, it's really in them. And, and, and that's the person I think that people want to emulate and follow. Yeah. Um, they're the ones I want to anyway. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's great. So when it comes to your daily rhythm for life and leadership, what are a few things that you find yourself doing on a daily basis? Uh, getting uh, alone with Christ every morning, um, you know, basic, you mm. know, uh, basic quiet time stuff, um, usually about an hour and a half uh, to uh, the start of every day for me. Mm. Uh, that's how much time I need uh, to get centered. Um, uh you know, uh, that, that's the starting point and everything kind of flows out of that. But I, I've got organizational gifts. And so, so I, I kind of, I'm, I'm pretty disciplined with like calendar and schedule. And so I have a Monday, typical Monday routine with some flexibility built in, typical Tuesday routine uh, with some flexibility built in and so on. And then I work about half a day on Friday typically and, and try to unplug, uh, for half of Friday and all of Saturday. Okay. Um, okay. and then Sunday's, you know, Super yeah. Bowl. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, for those of our listeners, I mean, most of them know that I also serve as a teaching pastor at my church here in Nashville. And, and I'd love to just hear just quickly your preaching, how, how you do your preaching prep. 
So actually on my blog, scottsauls.com, I wrote yeah. a whole blog post oh, about okay. that. Okay. Uh, I think I called it How I Go About uh, Preparing a Sermon. Uh, okay. You just go scottsauls.com and put in that title. But um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I have uh, a, about five... Uh, go-to commentaries on logos. I don't like the long commentaries. Mm-hmm. I, I'm much more of a condensed, concise commentary because I, I don't want you know John Calvin to do all my thinking for me. Just <laughs> just some of it, yeah. you know. And 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 so I, I like the concise, concise commentaries. Um, usually, I'll I'll listen to a sermon or two, you know, on the same scripture from some teachers, preachers I respect, uh, and. Um, and then I'll marinate a little bit, uh, and and typically an out, outline. I've been doing this for almost twenty five years now, mm-hmm. and so outlines just kind of start to form yeah. in your head after you've been doing it enough. Uh, and so I just typically can just kind of crunch out an outline, yeah. and then um, uh, and then I'll I'll you know organize it, and then by the time Tuesday is over, hopefully I'm done okay. until Sunday morning. Yeah. And I'll get up at like 5.30 on Sunday and spend a couple hours just refining it. So. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. We'll yeah. be sure to link to that in the show notes yeah. as well. Mm. Absolutely. Okay. So what does leadership in your home look like? I, I do whatever my wife says. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us about your family. Yeah. How long have you been married for? Kids? So my wife is, is the kindest, uh, and one of the one of the healthiest human beings I've ever known, uh, and so like she's she's a rock, and and um, she's she loves being behind the scenes. You know, she's like Enneagram six, and so she's like okay. the loyalist and yeah. always supporting and making sure everybody What's else is taking care. You? Take a wild guess. Three, of course, yeah. of course, I'm yeah, a three as well. yeah, yeah. Three, so, what's your wing? Uh, my wing is a four. Okay, I'm yeah, more me of too. an artistic bent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's she's a she's a, a six with a five wing for okay. sure. Um, but uh, yeah, our family dynamic. I mean, our kids are a little older now. We've got one in college and one uh, who's a junior in high school, and so they're becoming more independent, uh, which has given Patty and I a lot more, um, you know, flexibility to do spontaneous date stuff again. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we are one of those couples who are discovering that after we've done most of the child raising, we, we still really like each other. <laughs> uh, like our life isn't That's built good. around our kids, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and, and I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was, uh, maybe it was Dan Allender or Paul Tripp or somebody, but, but early on we, we, we kind of latched onto this teaching of, um, you know, you, you want healthy, uh, Children, your best contribution of, the, of that is to build a marriage-centered home and not a child-centered one. Yeah, um, and that doesn't mean that the children are pushed aside, but oh, but but the children's life revolves around the marriage and not the other way around. And and I think we've done a pretty decent job at that. We don't contradict each other mm-hmm. like in conversations with our kids. Like if if they there is no court of appeal to the other right. parent, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we we've tried to be of one mind and and and. Uh, We've tried not to obsess over them and to give them freedom to make mistakes and to fail and freedom to struggle even with Christianity mm. um, at, at times in various seasons and and just try to keep an open communication and just continually to remind them there, there's nothing that you, you ever have to be ashamed of bringing up or, yeah. around our parents and we love you all the time. And, and we bless them every night uh, as they go to bed. You know, we want the last thing for them to hear is we love you and God does too and we're for you. And, and so... 
That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. We try to do a lot of dinners together, um, especially as the kids were younger. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. I love that. I love, I love that. Now, if you were sitting across uh, at a coffee shop with your 20-year-old self. Nashville coffee shop where they serve you yeah. hipster coffee with a scowl. <laughs> yeah. I thought Maxwell House was good coffee when I was 20. <laughs> so that's how far we've come in the world of coffee. That's pretty much all that there was, right? Uh, so what would you, yeah, what would you tell your 20-year-old self about preparing to lead? Preparing to lead? Um it's not about you. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like you, you, you are serving something in someone so much bigger than you, mm-hmm. uh, who doesn't need you. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, uh, I remember a commencement, uh, speech or, or maybe it was baccalaureate, the president of the university that I graduated from said, don't take yourself too seriously because nobody else does. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I, I wish I, I wish, because everybody's thinking more yeah. about themselves, right? right? Like that when they think awesome. about you, they think about how you reflect on them, yeah. uh, you know? Yes. And, and, yes. and that was actually very, very wise counsel of, of, you know, the more shy we can be about ourselves, the more boastful we can be about Jesus, the more, um, the less concerned we can be about making a name for ourselves and the, uh, you know, the more we can, you know, concern ourselves with, with advancing the name and the causes of Christ uh, with whatever opportunities we've been given big or small, uh, it matters. And that, that's the other thing I would say too, if you do something big or if you do something small, mm. it matters equally. Um, you know, the grand stage and the invisible stage are, are just as important. They're equally important to one another. What, what matters as far as you're concerned, whatever your stage or your platform is as a leader is your character. It is your character because if, you know, I'll steal a a way of phrasing things from C.S. Lewis on this one. You, you aim at character, you'll get influence thrown in, but if you aim at influence, you'll get neither. And, and I I can tell you a hundred train wreck stories of, of my own friends who got platforms and book deals who are no longer in ministry um, because they got that reversed. And, and I've come close to getting that reversed sometimes myself. And, and it's, we're all dangerously close to sabotaging everything that the Lord could do through us. And so character matters more than anything else. And so what are you personally doing then to guard yourself from, from moving over to that? I'm in three guys groups, uh, so, so not just <laughs> not just one, but three. Uh, one is a group that includes several addicts. Um, you know, I'm not addicted to drugs or substances, but I'm addicted to my own name and reputation and control and other things. And so I want to be around addicts. Addicts teach me a lot about just grounded living uh, and and being honest about your junk. Uh, and then I'm in another group uh, of, of guys, all of whom lead organizations. Uh, none of them are pastors except me. Uh, all of them are believers. All of them are older than I am. Uh, and then, and then my third group is, is, is a group of guys. We just read good books together and discuss them. And then we got songwriters, we've got, um, you know, business people, a guy over at Thomas Nelson, um, uh, Webb Younce is in there uh, and a few others. Um, uh, and all these people, all these guys are, are from, from our church. I, I, I'm just one who value, I never bought the idea that a pastor can't be friends with people in his church. And mm-hmm. I've, I've tried to really fight against that for a long time. Um, and, and these, these, these are people I'm honest with. And my wife is a truth teller and, and she's someone that I can listen to and, 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 and who can call me out. I write 
about a couple of instances where she called me out on things in the book too, but, but, uh, she's really great at that, but, um, that's yeah. wonderful. So. That's wonderful. Scott, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks with us. guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. And do yourself a favor, pick up a copy of irresistible faith. And I mean, honestly, from weakness to strength, befriend Jesus outside the lines. Not coloring outside the lines. <laughs> Not I coloring did, outside I did pick up my phone right after that. And I was like, what was I thinking of? I couldn't think of another book. I mean, yeah. it was Jesus outside the lines I was thinking of, but I was like, do I own another book called Colors? It's funny. I, I get I, people say, hey, I love Jesus between the lines. <laughs> like, we got the title wrong on that because nobody can get it right. So it's yeah. all right. You're in good company. Oh, good. That's awesome. That's awesome. And if there's someone that came to mind while you're listening to this episode, uh, do yourself a favor, do them a favor as well and, and just hit the share button. You can copy the link, send it over to them text it, email. Uh, We'd be honored if you do that and we'll catch you next time.